Hello and welcome to the very first motor mouthing podcast. My name's James and this is a series where I essentially get lifts in interesting cars from interesting people who are associated with the world of motoring. Now I set the bar quite high with this episode, episode number one, and I've gone for a guest who, especially if you're British and especially if you're into your cars, is a bit of a legend to say the least. It's Tiffany Dell, a man who's been racing, drifting, doing all sorts of cool things with cars on TV for 30 years non-stop now. For the majority of these podcasts, I'm going to try and use a cool car belonging to my guest. But for episode one, Tiff and I actually borrowed a new car uh, and we thought we could incorporate a mini road test. The other thing I should say is that I've marked this one down as containing explicit language. I've only done that because there's one tiny little swear word, the B word, and as I thought this is my first ever podcast, I decided I ought to be cautious, really. So here we go with the pilot podcast. Here is Tiffany Dell and a car. Well, I'm in the company of royalty today because sitting next to me is the man they call the Prince of Power Slide, Tiffany Dell. Hello, Royalty, Tiffany. royalty. We like to start with the car, so can you tell me what it is we're driving today? It's a very large Audi RS7. Audi RS7, yeah. So this is like an RS6, but in a sort it's of stopped. coupe form. It stopped. You see, it stopped started because we're at some like lights it, right the now. the steering wheel dies. I don't like this. Because when you've got power steering, you've got a bit of lock mm. on. It will save us point one of a gallon, though. Well, you can, I mean, you can turn the stock start no, off. we'll never find it. That's the trouble. Take too long. See, all these buttons and stuff in modern cars, there's so much going on. There's a lot of buttons in this car, which is very typical of a, a well-equipped Audi. This is an £83,000 car. And for that you get... 83,000? This particular one's 95 with bits of spec on it. But it is 560 horsepower with a V8 twin turbo. That's more than I had when I raced my Formula One car in a Grand Prix. Really? Yeah. (laughs) But it weighs probably two tonnes. It weighs two tonnes, yeah. Well, it weighs almost two tonnes. 516 pounds feet of torque. Fabulous seats. I I haven't sat in this for long, but these seats just... They are nice, aren't they? ...fit my back. Don't like their chopped off steering wheels though. See, little things now, you see, cars are so good, you criticise little things. And I've yeah. never liked the chopped off bottom of steering wheels where you twirl it around your hands. So, this is where you've got a flat bottom bit of the wheel. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of a nod to motorsport, I suppose. Oh, isn't it? I don't know, they make it up. I think it's a nod to fat bellies. Can't <laughs> get underneath the steering wheel. Yeah, or you something. can fit more underneath, I suppose. So, you're saying that cars these days. They tend to be so good that it's tricky to critique them. Yeah, you you end up picking on little things and then you feel Mm. guilty that you picked on something as small as the bottom of a steering wheel. Yeah, you um, you do still get bad cars. Fewer and fewer. We'll try and go to a quieter road because we're stuck in town now, aren't we? We, Are we still in Hatfield? Yes. Yeah, we're in Hatfield in Hertfordshire. Uh, I've stayed in that hotel, actually. The Ramada Inn. Yeah. So we'll try and get out to a road where we can go a little bit faster. Because this is a fast car, this is 3.9 seconds to 62. But <laughs> it's getting ridiculous. It is. It's, it's, it's a supercar, but it looks like an, yeah. an Audi. I was worried then that we're getting too much power that we don't really need. I had an idea that every sort of type of car, yeah. we should have a self-imposed horsepower limit because we're getting silly. So to protect ourselves from having horrible rules written for us, mm. You know, a supercar, the max should be 600 horsepower. I mean, now we've got 1,200 horsepower. Big saloon should have 400 horsepower. Because mm. every Porsche 911, the new one that comes out, has to have 20 or 30 horsepower more than the previous one. Yeah. So that's what the public yeah. expects. So they always get more power. So it's going up and it's going up. But whilst they keep on adding more power, 
they're adding more electronics to stop you using the power. Exactly, yeah. So when you get into your Bugatti Chiron, open the throttle, you don't get 1,200 horsepower, you get 200 horsepower yeah. or something. So you're spending all this money making more powerful engines, then spending all this money taking the power away from you. So if you had my way, every new Porsche 911 would have 500 horsepower, mm -hmm. but the next model would have the same 500 horsepower, but getting an extra three miles per gallon. That would give us, the motorists, you see, a very green, responsible look. Yeah, still... Because 500 horsepower is green and responsible. But we still keep our 500 horsepower. But one day they'll say, you know, you irresponsible people with your stupid cars, you can yeah. only have 300. They'll legislate against us having the power. So I'm preempting that, you see. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I mean, I think that we need to enjoy obscenely powerful cars while we can before exactly. it becomes all driverless, joyless. I need to use, I need to use diesels. I'm in slightly the wrong lanes. I've just had to use my. 500, how many horsepower? This is 560 PS. So that feels very fast. You can't really go that far and stay within the speed limit, can you? It's just overtaking, I think. It's more on country roads when you come across a group of three people. That, people don't overtake anymore, you know. You see these people sit behind the tractors. What, on a country lane? Yeah, and they just won't overtake. So sometimes you have to overtake three at a time, and it's pretty handy to have <laughs> <You> do. <laughs> this sort of power. Well, you need it. You can't really do that in a Fiesta, can you? No. Of course, people all flash at you, even though you're not exceeding the speed limit. They forget that the highway code says you must leave room in front for the overtaking vehicle to over-sit in. You've just been cut up by a Ford Ecos. Sport, it was indicating, but then again, the people think indicators are a right of way, don't they? Yeah, they just they indicate do. and go. So let's have a listen to that engine and exhaust. I think it sounds good. Yeah. And if you lift off, you can make it do that blippy, burbly thing. I mean, it's ridiculous acceleration. <laughs> it's good. It's 3.9 seconds. Oh, oh there crackle, oh crackle. We've got crackle on the downshift. See, that sounds nice. Does stuff like that still excite you? It does until I suddenly think it's actually designed it in. See, when, yes. it, when it was natural deceleration, crackle. Or, yeah. And the Jaguar F-Type's a classic example. I don't like the Jaguar's bang, bang. You know, every time it, it changes up again, you get that bang. Yeah. And it's so artificial, it's almost annoying after a while because it happens so perfectly every time, you know. Yeah. I was watching some Formula One onboard of Nelson Peake and a Lotus not long ago. Right. Just on all the downshifts, you know, it was so inconsistent because it was him healing and towing and blipping the throttle himself. So obviously yeah. when you blip on a downshift, you never get exactly the same revs every time, whereas an automatic computer now is so perfect. I remember I criticised the new Golf GTI because it did everything so well, steering, handling, balance brakes that had no character. So whereas the original Golf always had a bit of an edge yeah. to it, and you'd feel yeah. you were driving it. Yeah. So this is the biggest problem I think now, is making cars that are too good to have mm. an individual feel. How do you feel about paddle shifts? The trouble is, you get interior, the worst thing is you get interior designers designing something that looks pretty mm -hmm. for their brochures. Yeah. I don't get a driver that wants to put his fingers behind the steering wheel anymore. Do you drive? they must believe, with your fingers on the outside of the paddles, which I don't want to do. I want to grip right. the steering wheel correctly, but they always put paddles now where your fingers want to go. They do, they have it very close to the back yeah. of the wheel, don't so they? So that really annoys me. And what about in a racing car? Is a racing car you'd find them for Oh yeah, the you have to reach your fingers. fingers. Yeah, you've got to lift your finger out from behind the lever. But do you ever use paddle shifts when you're, when you're driving yeah, a car like this on the road? Because I hate kick down, you see. If I tend to drive with one hand on the gear lever so I can pump action 
the gears yeah. up and down. But then occasionally I probably use I probably change up with the right hand on the paddle and change down with the lever with the pump action. Okay. Interesting. So you spit a bow. Except Audi's got it the wrong way around. And that's all wrong, you see. What is down, up and up? Yeah, down. you push the lever so, forwards, it changes up. And somehow I've turned the radio back on. You see? Turn that off. Why do cars do that? I think you hit that pad. Oh no, a pad. What is one, two, three? What is yeah. this pad all about then? Well, that lets you select the six radio channels, but it's also you can draw on it. I remember when the A8s oh, came out. No. You can go go to the the sat nav and you can you write. See children, you can you go see there are children. You see the children like you. Red children like you. It's not me. I, I'm, I'm just reporting office, it. I'm trying reporting to design it. the next thing to help the driver. <laughs> Eureka, let's have a pad you write on with your finger. <laughs> oh, that'll be lovely. Your kind of party piece is power sliding, I guess. Well, isn't I think it? I invented it. I think I was the, you invented it? Certainly the first to do it on television, that's for sure. You were, you've been doing it on television for 30 mid, years now. Mid 90s, outrageous handbrake turns that they used to be shocked by, but now are so commonplace. I remember a few years ago seeing you do a brilliant, brilliant power slide, and it was at Rockingham, and it was in a C63 AMG, and you were with Plato, oh, with Jason yeah, Plato. Oh yeah, we were side by side. You did a, I think it's, is it, I think it's called Chapman Curve, is the right, this is at Rockingham. Then we flicked and them left, and then we stayed inside each other all the way through the... No, no, it was you on your own, and oh, Jason, was, Jason was sitting next to you. But you did the right, and then carried the right for a really long time, and then flipped it to the left and people can't get enough of seeing you, you power slide. Yeah, but sometimes um, people make me power slide everything, directors and producers, and sometimes I think I overdo a bit. Chris Harris has now become the latest power slider. I suppose so, but you, you're the best at it. You can get into any car that you've never driven before, on any circuit. Ah, but they're spoiling that, you see, now. But you, because now we used to lovely lift off oversteer on the hot hatches. Yeah. And they've now they the stability control can't be switched off. So I saw the internet someone did a power slide in a Tesla recently, but again you've got to pull the <laughs> you've got to pull the fuse out to disable really? it. Yeah, you can't uh, disable the traction control. Yeah. Maybe we should talk about top gear and fifth gear. Because that's what you're probably best known for, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Fifteen years on top gear, fourteen years on fifth gear. Was a Mitsubishi Evo just roared past us. We just got Evoed, but that's okay. We're just cruising now. So fifteen years on Top Gear, fourteen years on Fifth Gear. Yeah. So thirty years, and you came into that following a career in motorsports. Well, I was still doing the motorsports. They they overlapped. It was quite good as the motorsport career petered out. The television career took off. So, okay. but for about ten years, I was professional racing driver and Top Gear presenter. So, when did you start doing Top Gear? 87, 1987, when Chris Goffey broke his leg. <laughs> well, you filled in for Chris Goffey? Yeah, he was supposed to drive a racing car, so he couldn't drive. So they, and literally, they didn't show my face. Bizarrely, I was like the blueprint stick without knowing it, because uh, I uh, did the driving and talking about the racing car on board. Yeah. And in fact, very from the word goes, I'd watch racing cars on television and thought, you know, it looks a bit easy. The bloke comes to a corner, turns the steering wheel. Mm -hmm. There wasn't much steering wheel action when you watch people racing, because that's the way it should be if it's going well. So, so I you have to exaggerate. Well, I did, I deliberately went straight away, my very first shoot, well, I'll, make, I'll get this sideways and make it look exciting. Yeah. 
And of course, as soon as I did that and talked at the same time, the producers were so overwhelmed that I could do that that they started <laughs> to get me back, and I became the first tame racing driver. <laughs> how, did, how did Top Gear come about for you? I'd done um, commentary on television with Murray Walker, so I'd right. been, been on, my voice had been on the beat. I was the expert analyst right. for all things not Grand Prix. It was when James Hunt was doing the Formula One, mm-hmm. but Grandstand still did live Formula Three, Rallycross, Formula Two. Yeah, yeah. So I was the James Hunt for that and became one of the early analysts. I started writing for Autosport magazine as well as doing written track tests. Everything was done just to try and further my motor racing career. I didn't really care to write or no. film. Just wanted to be a racing driver. Still, I only just wanted to be a racing driver. Really? But once Top Gear's thought saw I could do what I could do, they uh, started getting on more and more often. But in those days, I was only on sort of one in every four shows. You know, we ended up having about seven presenters. Well, you had loads of presenters back then. Yeah, yeah, same as they've got now. So, mm. you know, not everybody was on every show, apart from, well, William Woolard initially and uh, Chris yeah. Goffey were on every show. Then they used to get me in to do racing cars. Tony Mason to do uh, London buses, Steve Burry to do bullshit bikes. bikes. Yeah, and of course, good. Jeremy Clarkson to do the humour, and then Quentin Wilson to talk a lot of bollocks about second hand cars. <laughs> do you remember the, the famous Tony Mason getting hit with a snowball? The snowball, in the face? yeah. Tony still loves that. It's in front, front cover of his autobiography. Is it really? Yeah. You wrote an autobiography, didn't you? Yeah, Tiff Gear. Tiff Gear. It's all there. 40 years of being a racing driver, a TV presenter. Tiff Gear. It's a very good book. It's very well received, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah. Did it well, do, did it do well? Did not sell many, no. No? Selling books is depressing. Is it? Unless you're Clarks. There's a your lot of books for sale. I know. I think people buy books for Christmas and they open them and they don't get read. Yeah, I think so. That's actually that's the only book um, in the world with my name in it. There you are, as you see. Twice, if you include the index, <laughs> <laughs> which I do. <clears throat> Coming off the A road now, so we'll maybe get a bit of small road action going We'll go on. to Wiggington. I wonder where Wiggington is. Spot now. So I wouldn't want to stiffen this up particularly, you see, whoosh. One. You, you wouldn't want the, the suspension so on. Not really. Here's Wiggington, 30 miles an hour. You see, head up display. I love it. Well, you don't want it to be too uncomfortable, do you? No, I, this is firm enough in comfort. You must have, if, in, in racing in a number of different disciplines, including Formula One, and doing 30 years on top gear and fifth gear, I wouldn't be surprised if you're the person that's driven the most types of motorsport racing vehicles in the whole world. <laughs> Because you must have tried everything over there. Yeah, because I even tried NASCAR. It was only really a test, but that was a top gear item when NASCAR. I went to show. I drove NASCAR. So I haven't driven around Indianapolis in an Indy car, but yeah, I've driven Formula One, Formula Two, Formula Three, <laughs> Formula Ford, Rally Cross, Rallies, Dragsters, Dakar vehicles, Dakar vehicles, uh, bikes. Yeah, motorbikes fell off on the track. Trialing? Did you did a trial? A trials again? car, trials sidecar outfit. And one of the most oh, amazing yes, things I did, car, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was riding it and, uh, and Tom Ford was on the sidecar, but I actually passengered right. with the world champion Steve Webster on a proper, you know, um, sidecar race, sidecar race, and that was the most exhausting, exciting thing I think I ever did, hanging over the back, leaning out the side. I was knackered after about two laps. Really? Whoa, so, this car goes. Is you... that circuit or is that on, on yeah, road? It did at Cabell Park of all places, yeah. What about the Isle of, Isle of Man? Guess you drove around in a road car, yeah, but obviously not a motorbike. I drove around a Subaru, which is quite a thing. Wow, so there's not much you've not done. 
now is quite an interesting time for car TV because it feels like car TV programs are possibly at their most popular. There's certainly the most number of car shows around. Well, well how do you define and a car show? This is the question. Well, a pro most program that's about cars. Uh, uh, cars you know, are Building in a workshop or... There's a lot of you know, it's building and rebuilding, isn't it? Seems to be the most building and rebuilding is the most popular buy doing a deal you have a deal at the end yeah you've got to make money there's a lot of those around but there's also there's two new shows about to come out which is the new well, the new Top Gear the Chris Evans Top Gear and then there's a new Amazon Prime show which they're making as well right now there's all of a sudden quite a lot of competition isn't I there? know and Top Gear keep on getting into so much trouble because they keep on getting caught doing what worries me they haven't got enough new things going on they use Reliant Robins you know for um, to drive to was it Liverpool they drove to or something Chris and I can't remember thingy Joey is it Joey from yeah Matt LeBlanc Matt LeBlanc now that's you know Clarkson he's the Reliant Robin man so yeah. bad choice and then they've done this stunt in London with you know Ken Block and the Hoonigan but again that's something that's not new everyone's looked at Ken Block's Jim Carter yeah. so yeah you know, someone's had a thought, oh yeah, we've got an American joining Top Gear, let's have something Tour of London. I can see where they were thinking, yeah. but it's not that imaginative, so I'm slightly worried that we're going to be a bit disappointed. But you always hope that Chris Evans will pull something out of the hat, you know, he's a brilliant television maker, but he can have disasters. So mm. he's gone for the scattergun approach, as we had in the Top Gear in the 90s, so it's going to be his team, isn't it? Yeah. But then yeah. I fear that, because, you, you know, Chris loves everything. You know, you're lovely, love you, love you on the show, lovely car, my Ferraris are lovely, my kids are lovely, and it's... So I can't... He see is just a nice guy, yeah. isn't he? So will it have the edge that Clarkson Well, that's a thing, because he can't, he can't be as irreverent as Clarkson, no. and then the next day present his Radio 2 show where he's talking to a vicar. And <laughs> I know. It's, so it's going to be like the one, the one show for cars, I think. It's all going to be lovely, happy, lovely. It'd be well shot, mm. yeah, it'd be very oh, yeah. expensive, be nice pictures. But it won't have the edge, I think. Whereas uh, what the three egos are doing, I've no idea. They're already tweeting about here we are, here we are in Barbados filming, here we are in North Africa filming. Are they being quite secretive? Yeah, they're being quite just, sort of, just pictures of locations. Yeah, just here's us, rich, famous in the sunshine. So you don't have any insider knowledge on on no, the, the Amazon know. Prime show. I think Barbados someone did a picture. I think they're Land Rovers with inflated wheels. You know, they've been amphibious Land Rovers. So right. I think it's going to be you know making special cars for special terrains is what they always did well in the, the old Top Gear. Maybe. Yeah. But they got so much money they could buy a fleet of Lamborghinis and take them to New Zealand and fire them off the edge of a cliff. I think well, you know, the, if they wanted to. The, it's, it's only imagination that's holding them holding them back, isn't it? They could they can do anything. But it's interesting you talk about things being done before, about Reliance have been done before, Ken Block's been done before. I mean, Fifth Gear and Top Gear, they've been on TV for, I guess, between them for about 45 years, if that makes sense. And somehow, there is always something new. If you've yeah, got the I'm imagination, you can we, think of something new. We always start made it to be a car show, that we, we come up with some fun yeah. angles, you know, and tried to have a laugh about it a bit, but we were still always primarily and evaluating standard production cars. We, we never mucked around with changing well, you mucked things. around a bit, but you'd have to have solid information and facts. And yeah, some idiot made us go on hovercrafts you know. once, that sort of thing. You know, we did do the odd yeah. fun thing, you know. Yeah. Do you have a favourite fifth gear or top gear item or day out or... Oh, I can 
never thing remember that you've the done. That's the trouble. The McLaren F1 made me famous on Top Gear. Yeah. Was that, that was at a, um, Millbrook, the Millbrook Bowl? No, that was when no. I set the world, the British speed record for a closed circuit, 195 miles an hour. For comic relief, nearly killed myself because the tyres blistered. Really? I nearly had the biggest 200 mile an hour crash in the history of the standard road car. Wow. But um, now the original, when the McLaren was launched, was, the F1 was made. So 1993, early Top Gear days, really, yeah. relatively. And in those days, you were given an eight-minute item. You know, Ken Pollock, who was my great mentor, one of the producers of Top Gear, he did this item. And nowadays, you're sort of told, well, get it sideways straight away to be an opening shot of you broadside tyres smoking, you know. Yeah. Which is always annoying because sometimes I've written the script and tried to sort of say, well, let's come in gently and then, wow, but, you know, bigger wow factor but of course as soon as you have a wow factor they then use that in the credits and the highlights and coming next week so yeah. you can't have a surprise sort of twisted no, story no. the most the most exciting thing you do will be in teased, yeah, teased for, forever you know forever well, it's with that McLaren you know we went to the factory to show how it was made how it was built we spoke to Gordon Murray the design the concept yeah. and then went shopping in it and we showed how brilliant it was with its storage its toolkit and its yeah and then, after about three or minutes into the item, I took it out of a dual carriageway and then turned to the camera. This is what people always remember and say, you know, thank you for listening so far on something, but I know what you want me to do is this. And I whacked the throttle open and kicked yeah. back my head and went, whoa! <laughs> Which, of course, I knew was going to happen, but I got so many people saying, oh, that really did frighten you, and that scared you, didn't it, when you opened the throttle? Yeah. So I think that was my Oscar moment for acting up being scared, but of course I wasn't. But no. And then we did not, you know, two laps of the Goodwood circuit, but about four laps of Goodwood, you know, as normally now you just get a quick bit at the end of a flash. Yeah. And so it was, it was a wonderful item which people still remember to this day, so I think that was my greatest television item. But wow. the fun ones, you tend to forget, unless I get reminded of them, there were so many fun things. I liked doing the trips where we'd do four stories in five days in California or something. We'd be yeah, we'd be working off the hoof, making stories up, getting let down by contacts and rearranging the schedule and getting up at 6am and getting back to the hotel at 11pm and having Real several, adventure. several beers and going to bed at 2am and getting up at 4am. <laughs> so you mean when you go, go somewhere like California, you try and cram in as many shoots as possible yeah, to sprinkle yeah. throughout the The last series. one we did was, was South Africa, you know, we mm. did the Lamborghini and... Uh, Hurricane. We also went into some special military vehicles off-road and a whole variety of different things. Really? So those have always been very memorable trips, which we didn't do very often. We didn't have the budget on fifth gear, so you know maybe we've done five of those, whereas, of course, Clarks and the boys do those in luxury hotels. Yeah. <laughs> Spending, you know, two weeks doing one, one item. Because fifth gear was on at the same time as what people used to call new top gear. I guess it's not new top gear anymore, but the one with the... <laughs> Richard and James That's old and Jeremy. My programme was now old, old Top Gear. Yes. And Jeremy's is old Top Gear. And, and there's going to be new Top Gear. <laughs> so previous incarnation Top Gear ran alongside Fifth Gear. And sometimes Fifth Gear was on on a Monday night and Top Gear was on the night before on the Sunday night. There was a brief period where Fifth Gear was mentioned on Top Gear on the Sunday a couple yeah, of times. Burning down their studio, yeah. Yeah. Well, I did the live shows, you see. For about the first three years of Fifth Gear Top Gear, I appeared on stage in Birmingham, London, on what used to be called the MPH shows. Yeah, Top Gear Live. Ended up being Top Gear Live. So for the first three years, it was me and Richard Hammond mm -hmm. and uh, Jeremy. 
and we used to have fifth gear versus top gear, you know, car races, and so right. the competition was very much, you know, live and kicking. Yeah, it was quite fun, though. Yeah. It was, it was quite nice. Yeah, I mean, Jeremy still that. gives us a bit of a kicking occasionally, compliments me about, you know, the only people I, you know, let me drive is Damon Hill and Tifted Hill or something. That's so, true, he does say that. He does he's say always that. very grateful that the routes we had together, because we had a lot of fun together doing Top Gear in the, in the 90s. What was he like to work, work with? Well, though? great. You know, but the, the thing about Jamie that nobody realises is what a brilliant car journalist he was and is. You know, he, when he talks about something, it's not just made up. No. It's, he's, he's a very great understander of the history. It's true, every word has kind of meaning. He's not the yeah, sort well, of person what, to know, put filler in. He's, you know, same with James May, a car journalist, you know, and mm. Richard Hammond as well. And that's what worries me that you know, we're losing car, we're getting TV presenters mm. that aren't particularly car nuts, or they're car nuts, but they don't know the history of the, the world of cars. But no, Fifth Gear's been a lot of fun. In fact, it's Twitter that reminds me of a lot of the items. It's people on YouTube will suddenly say, oh, is Tiff doing something? And I've forgotten yeah. about it. So I'm, Delighted with the Twitterati, Twitterati. What's the word for the Twitter people? The Twitterati. Twitterati sounds about sounds right. Sounds a good word. Yeah. Well, there's so many. I mean, week in, week right. out for for decades, you've been doing this. That's a lot of items, isn't it? Under my it's belt. Lot, it must, it's in the thousands, isn't it? Yeah, thousands. It's got to be thousands. Oh, I've got a flashing car. red light now. I'm too close. Oh, that's driving me mental. Yeah, I couldn't figure out how to turn that off. Oh, you see, these things should be turned on. No, I'm still, I'm now about 100 yards behind the car in front, and it's still flashing that bit. I'm too close. The autonomous car. Yeah, how do you feel about all oh, that? Driverless no, cars, no, and they're, no. they're testing them now. They're testing driverless lorries up in uh, Cumbria at the moment. Well, even now, with a lot of cars, BMWs and Teslas and Mercedes, you can, you can have this lane control, distance control. You can literally put speed crews on, take your hands off the steering wheel, feet off the pedals, mm. and start doing your work or you read the newspaper so that can happen now on an, on a motorway but of it's course as soon illegal. as the, the white van man sideswipes you you know by the time you get your hands back on the steering wheel and your feet on the pedals to sort it out you know you probably had a big shunt so that's what worries me that you put people to sleep let the car do all the driving but then there's always the unknown activities of a white van man or another car doesn't have sorry white van man but the worst thing I think that people don't think through that are fans of autonomous drivers it's a wonderful idea that we all just sit there and get taken is it or will it just be ever so boring speed it's all going to go at it's going to cause traffic jams like we've never seen before and nobody's really catching up this idea they'll come to roundabouts can I go? I can't go. Can I go? I can't go. Can I go? Because I have to have such wide safety margins. Whereas we get a bit impatient, we start nudging our nose forward, coming yeah. out of a junction, and someone might stop for us. Well, the autonomous car is never going to start nudging his nose forward. That's true. It'll and they're never going to let anybody out. I mean, yeah. you could be stuck at a junction forever. Parking. You? If you use these automatic parking now, I've often done this on. This car has it. Actually, there's yeah. a little button there for it. Well, I've raced Vicky. You know, Vicky's used the automatic parking system. It takes about two minutes. You know, blocking the lane with all the traffic behind you, the shopping in the high street. Yeah. Whereas manually, I've done it in 25 seconds. You, yeah. know, you just see the sparking space break into reverse in the slot. Yes. I suppose if you're very bad at parking, it's, it's a useful device. Yes, but it's, everything's going to block up the traffic. You know, the autonomous cars sitting in the middle lane of the motorway. Yeah, so you need to, you, you need some human intelligence to make the system work. Well, and, it, really. and if they do all put the legal gap between each other, mm. 
So set a speed set, you've got to be 100 yards behind at 70 miles an hour. Mm. Well, imagine how much motorway that's going to take up. Yeah. People don't understand that if so we all... Most of the motorway is, is unused yeah. space. Exactly. If we all sat as far apart as we should, yeah, the motorway would be... You wouldn't be able to get on the motorway. That's true. That's true. The biggest problem is, you know, who's going to pay the bills when, you know, someone gets injured when it's the car's fault? So are the manufacturers going to take well, on a Well, it'll always be the car's fault, won't it? And then the and then the other well, then is the manufacturer going to accept the liability that could come? You know, well, it'll be it'll be your insurer, won't it? And yeah, but I, who's I insurer? Who's paying the insurance? The car manufacturer or the well, I don't know. person I imagine sitting you, in it? Why well, you? I imagine you buy insurance for your car, which is for you and your your car as one. You know, but it wasn't thing. my fault. It was the car's fault. The car crashed. That's true. And what, what about and, uh, the other point of contention is when a car is in a situation where it has to decide what to do and both outcomes that it has the choice of will result in somebody dying. You know, if it can either... One option is killing you, or getting driving, driving off the edge of a cliff, and the other option is, you know, running somebody over, a pedestrian. See, what does the car do then? It's all complicated. But I do worry it's, it's going to cause huge traffic congestion. Well, I do worry it'll take all the joy out of motoring as well. Yeah. So I do see the future, maybe more autonomous, but more clogged traffic. Yes. In all these 50 mile an hour motorways. The amount of crashes they're having in these 50 mile an hour limits, because everyone's sitting at 50. Well, everyone switches off. Yeah, your brain switches off. It's true. And you start chatting And you people. never see people working. It's just, I think, I think the M1 <laughs> is, is a storage place for cones now. Oh dear. Liking this car, by the way, just like letting you. What do you like about it? The surge of acceleration, mm. whatever I want. I can feel you getting more into it. So it's quite sporty, even on it comfort. Now. It's a sporty feel through the steering, through the seat of my pants. I just want someone to put my fingers behind the steering wheel with these stupid paddles. They're just so annoying. So I think I think fashion designers think you have your hands at about sort of five to one at the top of the five, stream. Right, yeah. If they've seen that, a racing driver's got their hands, but they don't. Well, no, racing drivers, I thought racing drivers were quarter to three. Well, it's, all it is, or should be, my way I teach people, is your thumbs sit on the spokes. Yeah. So the spokes are a bit higher. You put them a bit you higher. You virtually feel my, I feel my racing car through the, through my thumbs on spokes. Really? Yeah. What did you race professionally then? Well, yeah, I did a couple of Grand Prix, but that was for no mm. money, so it wasn't really professional because I wasn't paid at all. But I started in the World Sports Car Championship, and that's really my biggest professional mm. career. I did 14 Le Mans 24 hour races, so wow, yeah. that, that was really all centered what, around. What were driving. they in? Who were you racing? There were many Porsches, Toyotas, Aston Martin, group, the big Group C prototypes, so yeah. gullwing doors, rear engines, uh, nothing like a road car, which is not based at all on road cars. Do you enjoy Le Mans? They were better, yeah. Le Mans was my greatest joy every year. Really? Because I was a little kid that stood on the fence at Goodwood, you know, and watched Jim Clark, you know, inspired. Really? I was a proper spectator. Mm. You know, I was still a spectator when I was, you know, 20, 22, whereas the, the modern children, because they start in karting age eight, they've probably never been to watch a motor race in their lives. But you they've, know. they've competed in yeah, them since six years old. In, yeah, yeah, daddy puts them in a car. Well, this is the problem with motorsport. You, you can't get into it unless you've been given that leg up. Oh, no. so Whereas you, you, you had a very successful motorsport career. I was a the fan. way you started in racing was I came really from, unusual. Yeah, I came from outside the fence to inside the fence by winning a car in a magazine competition. <laughs> 
That was in auto, auto sport, right? Yeah, I had been to racing driver's school on my own money before <laughs> that, so I'd, I'd played around dreaming of being a racing driver just by going to the school, hoping that I met a millionaire S, she'd sponsor me. Sure. That was yeah. my idea. Look, I'm, I'm good at the racing driver's school. And so what, what was the competition in autosport that you entered? Just it was an old, it was for a Lotus 69F for Formula 4, which was the, the, the new, the beginning formula. There was skill involved in those days. These competitions, you had to put things in order of importance. Right. And a group of experts would do the same thing in a judging panel, and they'd, whoever got the same order of importance won the competition. There were 10 items like engine tune, suspension setup. Right, okay. Uh, physical preparation, you know, gear ratios. So you put them in order of importance, but you could buy a line. There were loads of these competitions, even sort of soap powders had them, you know, what's yeah. the most important thing about your washing machine? And it was in the 70s, loads of, and you had to pay, I think it was one, six pence or one shilling a, a line. Right. You paid to enter these competitions, whether it was for a washing machine or a Formula Ford. And you could buy as many lines as you wanted. So I did about 20 different lines of this combination. Yeah. And amazingly, one of my lines matched up with what the experts thought. So it was pure luck, really. Wow. So you won, you won a racing car yeah. in a competition, and then it was delivered to your house, or you had to pick it yeah, up. Yeah, my brother had to go to the garage to collect it because I didn't have a car. So I didn't have a road car. And then you I got you a trailer. To it was on a trailer. Yeah, so I was, I was a civil trainee civil engineer at the time. So I, I was right. a civil engineer five days a week, a racing driver, a mechanic five nights a week in my little garage, and a racing driver at the weekends. And, really? and the thing is, it, it's science has ruined motorsport because back then you could prepare a Formula Ford racing car yourself. You could do the towing and the camber. Yeah. And it wasn't that precise, you know, and you could win races and do your own preparation. Yeah. But now these modern day cars with their sort of preloads and suspension pull rods and dampers, if the, if the pull rod preload is a millimetre out, the mm. car just won't go around a corner. If you go on YouTube, you can of course see one of my best, see there's one of my best fifth year items mm. with me driving the very car that I won. Really? Yeah. Do you still own it? Yeah, I bought it back 40 years after I sold it. I'm racing it again, I'm racing it myself. Are you? <laughs> on my website, tiff.tv, yeah. Videos, scroll down. I haven't yet organised that properly. I've only got about ten or twenty up. Right. I'm now collecting my favourite videos when when I see them on YouTube. Really? I'm and trying to think what my favourite fifth year item with you is. So there's some very good drifting ones. There was a, there was a good one a few years ago where um, you taught Heston. You taught a lot of people how to drift. Oh, Heston Blumenthal. You taught Heston Blumenthal how to drift using. And we put a kitchen knife. On the front, big front. kitchen knife. Chop a cucumber on the on the on the apex of the drift. It's a brilliant idea. It was like a knife on the front of the bonnet. That's right. Oh dear. And then if you do if you do the drift right, then Slice. the cucumber gets its gets cut into. Heston just ran it over in the end in frustration. <laughs> I quite like the ones where you're slightly outside of your comfort zone as well, uh, and you're not in a incredibly fast car. Why don't? Well, I know you don't. The one where you, you and Johnny drove an electric car from Gateshead <laughs> to London. Oh, that should have been a 10-minute item, but it was chopped to about three minutes. That's it, what frustrates true. you sometimes. You it's think true. you make good telly, and the producers then want oh, 10 items in one show, and yeah. the channels, executives coming in, interfere. And the great thing about old Top Gear when I was on it, old, old Top Gear now, sorry, yeah. was you go out with your director, you write the script with the director, you make a story about a car, mm. And he'd go and edit it, and he'd leave gaps so you could fill in the other information you wanted to add later on, or if you'd made a mistake with a piece of camera, you could put it in there. 
And on Wednesday, I used to go to Pebble Mill at Birmingham. They'd give me my video with the gaps in it. Mm -hmm. I'd sit there playing backwards and forwards, write the words that filled the gaps in. Then on Wednesday, about five o'clock, I'd go in and voice over the gaps. Yeah. And the next day, it was on telly. Nobody really? checked it or cut it. And if they didn't like it, they'd tell you, no, well, don't do that again or something. Yeah. But now, you know, with independent commissioning editors, we'd make an item and it's on television six months later. Yeah. By which time, you know, Top Gear's done it and I'm really and angry because I of came dates. out with something original to say about that car and looks like Clarkson thought of it before me or I thought yeah. it before Clarkson. So it's very frustrating with the modern television that you're, what you do isn't on television very quickly. No. What do you think the fastest car you've ever driven is? Well, the road car, probably the McLaren, well, the Bugatti, I suppose, the Veyron. Bugatti Veyron. It's the Veyron. That, that was the first, you know, hypercar disappointment when I drove it because it's just was all it? computers and no sensual feel about it at all. Well, it? it was. It was an. Uh, I think it, the praise for that car was that it was an engineering masterpiece. It was what you could package into a car, yeah. the amount yeah. of power and well, so exactly, on, so yeah. and make it drivable. Yeah. So. Um, so it was a feat of engineering, wasn't it? But then that's what all hypercars are coming. We all have this hypercar now. It has to have mm. a. Uh, you know, we have to have the blooming battery, the regeneration of power, the hybrid element, as in Formula One, we're told it has to be hybrid because otherwise the manufacturers won't be interested. I mean, yeah. Honda made such a fuss, you know, the virtue of the reason why we got hybrid Formula One cars was because mm. Honda wanted to come back and they'd only come back if we had a hybrid formula. And yet this is the same manufacturer that supplies half the IndyCar engines for American, <laughs> which are just straight the exact opposite. Yeah, straightforward, off-the-shelf, you know, turbo yeah. petrol engines. Yeah. But all the hybrids, you know, the, the Holy Trinity, whatever people want to call it, I've done the video with Chris Harris, you know, which is on, on YouTube, and the LaFerrari, the 918 Porsche, and the P1. Yeah. So they're all hybrids. They are all hybrids, But the yeah. point is they have all these wonderful facts about how powerful they are, and yet... After one, after three laps, you've got no hybrid left. True. Because whereas a Formula One car, the Le Mans racing cars, actually manage to regenerate each lap, the power they've used. Yeah. So they've got the same power every lap. Yeah. But of course, the hybrid road cars don't have such sophisticated um, harvesting, as they call it, isn't it? Harvesting. Yeah, power. it's harvesting. Yeah. So in fact, all those three cars really should just quote their petrol power, because after three laps, that's all they've got. That's true, and and then that power will be what, like three hundred horsepower less or something. Yeah. So, uh, so it's yes. all, and you're carrying the weight of the batteries around, and I really, you know, we're doing all these things now because the manufacturers, you know, want to look green and clean mm. and advertise another, you know, half a mile to the gallon because they're hybrids. But you know, you're not in hybrid mode that often, even in road no. cars. You know, after thirty no. miles, the electricity's gone. Yeah, of course. And at the same time, you're lugging around a great weight of battery. Whereas yeah. if you spent the same money on, on making cars weigh one tonne instead of two tonnes, yeah. you'd get the same fuel saving and, and you know, a far more advanced scientific machine. So Yes, and le less less complicated things. And well, yeah, you're wearing out brakes, you're wearing out the tyres. Batteries are very expensive to produce yeah. and all the rest of it. So we're living at the moment through this flappy paddle enforced. Everything's enforced on us for... for fuel consumption reasons. Well, I think we all know it's a bit made up, don't we? But, but the manufacturers know that they have to do something to be eco. You yeah. know, it was like when Aston Martin had to produce that Sigma yeah, a few years ago, which was the Toyota IQ. So that their product range had so an average range, fuel consumption. Exactly. And it's all just, they just have to do these things.
Who's your favourite driver now or... Oh, Jim Clark was my great inspiration. Jim Clark. Jim Clark. A gentleman, so naturally gifted. Yeah. Anything in rally, race, saloon, sports cars, Formula One. Yeah. Most of the drivers did, but he was just quick in all of them. He was just great. Yeah. What do you think the dullest car in the world is, or the dullest car you've driven? Oh, I don't know. That's a quite, I don't see. I don't really get into road cars. People always ask my opinion on a, on a Volkswagen or a mm. Rover or a Boston or a Allegro. Or you do. You drive a lot of road. I mean, but I, but I'm not really now. the. But you don't drive a Volkswagen Polo or something. No, I don't do drive you? enough different road cars. So. No, but what bores you? Like an Astra or something? You know, no, what bores you just to look I'm at? Quite, it's like getting to my little kid's 12-year-old Corsa and quite enjoy driving it. You know, it's got a, really? man, it's got a really nice manual gearbox. I thought, oh, that's a lovely manual gearbox. And I haven't driven a manual for three months or something. Um, so I just I hate diesels. So all diesels annoy me because I just think it's a horrible fuel. The engines get clack, 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 clack. It's horrible. Yeah. But... Um, no, no car really upsets me because it depends what budget you've got and you know what your individual. Because that's what I love about cars. It's just such a you know individual choice in the end. You know you it listen, is, yeah. listen to what everybody says, but you must always make your own mind up in the end. Mm-hmm. Well, the G whizzes ought to be flattened forever, but I think I mean they're steadily disappearing. They're, I mean they're there's a new one coming. There's a new Hindustani electric car coming. Hind- Hindustan or the other lot. The G, the G Wiz mob. Oh right. Oh, so something Indian. New, yeah, they're coming out with a new G Wiz replacement. Really? Mm-hmm. Who made the G Wiz? Oh, I don't know. One at Hindustani or one of them will be. Really. So that's Indian, is it? Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah, I mean the G. The problem with the G Wiz is that it's. I mean, it's not really a car. There's no safety. Well, or then the more people have electric cars, the more fuel will be left for me to have. You see, that's always <laughs> a good side of it. So let's go back to this car. How would you? How would you rate this car? How would you rate it out of 10? Oh, it's a good 8 out of 10. Luxury, high-speed performance saloon, isn't it? Sort of, nothing ever gets 10. So an eight, 8 for me is, you know, one off the best. So it's pretty good. It's done, it's done well. What about looks-wise on the outside? Right, see, not, I don't do looks either, you see. I never you don't really do care. looks? Never done not looks. Into I've always been bad about styling. Just you know, into substance. Johnny Smith goes banging off about headlamps. And I always do the sort of, um, would you be proud of that? parked outside would the neighbours mm. curtains twitch you know was, mm. oh, that's my analysis I'll stand back and say would your neighbours okay. be horrified like that Suzuki remember that Suzuki two seat thing that was just awful the cappuccino I, no the tall ups the X90 oh. that was a te- I remember the Jeremy Clarkson <laughs> item on that do you remember that where you got a child oh. to draw it oh, and claim yeah. that that was the designer of the car if you parked that outside you would be embarrassed wouldn't you so, be very embarrassed yeah that's, that's pretty poor well, thank you very much, Tiff. Oh, it's been my it's been pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I need a big bar parking space now. We're sure. going to park up now, and we're probably we're going to get some lunch. Oh, lunch for sure. Get something to eat, and then you've got to go to work, haven't you? Well, I'm going to do a few fluffy lines. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Tiff. Well, there you go. That was Tiff outlining all the ways that he thinks cars should be. Um, and what a brilliant guest and a brilliant chat to start off with. If you liked this and you want some more, I'll be back next week with another great guest in another interesting car. I don't have a Twitter or a Facebook or anything set up, mainly because I've got no idea if anyone's going to listen to this and I don't want to have zero friends online. But if you really want to get in touch to say nice things or constructive criticism things, then I have set up a very professional email address, which is jamesmotormouth at gmail.com. And if you're going to give me constructive criticism, Try not to just be horrible because I I don't want my confidence shattered just yet. 
That's it really. Big, big thanks to Tiff for giving up a morning to drive aimlessly around Hertfordshire. Uh, I also need to thank my friend Ben who made the artwork for this. He's got his own podcast called Ben and Lee Chat on the Mat. And a big thanks to Nick Webb who's a composer and he made all of the music for this. Don't forget to come back next week. See you then. Bye bye.